Hey everybody, Fran Frischella here and welcome to the final episode of World of Basketball for 2021. We're in season two, obviously, but we figured we would uh, have some fun with this one and uh, bring you uh, something unique. It's been a big year for basketball around the globe, and we've had so many good guests on throughout the past 12 months to talk about it all. And uh, we had March Madness for the first time since 2019. We had the launch of Basketball Africa League, an NBA draft that saw five former World of Basketball guests get selected. Fans were back in arenas. We had the Tokyo Olympics. College basketball is underway. The NBA is underway. And so what we thought we'd do today is uh, bring you, uh, for this week's World of Basketball episode, look back at each of those events and more as we replay some of the great moments, great personalities uh, from this past year, 2021. Remember, if you're enjoying what we're doing on World of Basketball, download it on any of the podcasts, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you uh, hook up with us. Hook up with us there on World of Basketball. We're we're heading up to seventy shows over two seasons. So if you like what we're doing, uh, download that SXM app. And I promise you, when you look at the guests that we've had on over the first sixty-five plus shows, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, the the wealth of knowledge, uh, the wealth of uh, insight, basketball entertainment from around the basketball globe. Remember the goal is every week to shrink the globe with great guests who are players, coaches, executives from every walk of basketball life on six different continents. And believe me, if I can find a penguin in Antarctica that plays basketball, we'll have him on world of basketball as well. So uh, hope you like what we're doing. Download those apps and uh, that's SXM app and uh, go back and listen to so many of the great shows we've done. With that, let's get started. In episode 33, we had former Seton Hall and current Milwaukee Bucks big man, Sandro Mamukelishvili, I love saying that, um, who is from the country of Georgia. And what a great human being, what a great smile. And before he got drafted by the Bucks at pick 54 and is now on the current roster, He spoke about how his game can translate to the NBA. I don't know how to say this. I really don't want to be cocky, but I feel like uh, the space I'll have in the league will be much easier for me to facilitate and to create than than in college. You know, in college, they play pack line defense. So like like charges, 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 like it charges after charges and. And it's just harder. But I feel like in the NBA, you have so much space. And, you know, every player is is a great player in college. But in the NBA, you're already pro. So I feel like the decision-making will be there. And I feel like hopefully I'll, I'll, I'll get a chance. It doesn't matter how or when. But hopefully I'll, I'll have a chance to showcase my skills in, in a higher level. But, you know, I feel like coming over here, I, de- I definitely thought I would have the best of both worlds in European basketball. And then Coach Boyle and Coach Willard are going to teach me here. And, and I feel like I'll be I'll be all around player, even though if and if I have to go overseas, uh, I'll have then like the, the best thing is you come here and you got knowledge of the game from over, over, overseas. But if you go overseas, you got that that hunger mentality from states. So if you go overseas, you know, you got to be hungry, you got to eat and you come here and you like, I know how to play basketball. 
Sandro also spoke about the feedback he got from NBA teams last offseason. You know, everything came out a little bit, you know, free throw percentages. Like they told me I have to be more focused on my free throws, um, especially defense. You know, they said they said if I want to play in the NBA, I have to be able to switch one through five. And I feel like NBA guards are the best guards in the world. So if I want to play there, I have to contain the ball. And also they said I have to do a much better job at the rotation. For example, if my guy reds, I have to be at a, at a, at a spot to kind of help have his back. And um, after that, it was basically all confident, confidence and mental. Like they said, you know what? If you go back, you're about to be the leader of this team and we want to see it. And coming in, that's what was on my mind. Like, you know, I can show them what I have. Like, I can't do it. And, you know, right now I have a great chance. Coach believes in me. My teammates believe in me. So I feel like coming in, I was mentally ready to show everybody what I really have in my skill set. So I feel like uh, the, the draft, draft process was one of the best process, even though I wish everything went better. I could have went worked out. I could have, you know, everything happens for a reason. And I feel like that was the best thing I've ever done. In episode 34, we had Jonathan Chamwa Chachua, the Baylor star. They call him everyday John because he brings that energy every day. JTT. But I love saying it. Jonathan Chamwa Chachua. As we, as we record this at the end of uh, this year, Baylor is still number one in the country. You ready for this? They're 66-6 and six since the start of the 2019-20 season. John would go on and help Baylor win a national championship last year, and he talked about building a training center during COVID on the porch of his apartment complex. I had a bike in the guest room. I had bands. I had jump ropes, comb, <laughs> speed ladders, uh, some dumbbells, uh, some kettlebells, and yeah, I almost had everything there. That was like you, a weight room. So during the pandemic, during the summer. By the way, if you don't know this and you're listening, it gets pretty hot in Waco in the summer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the players told me that they saw you like almost morning, noon, and night out on your porch doing something to get better. Yes, sir. What was that? What was that like? What, what, what was your motivation? What was your motivation? Um, I knew that I, I couldn't get to the gym. I couldn't have access to a weight room. So, right. And I knew this year was going to happen. Uh, that goal would just make us uh, be able to play basketball. And I was right. just so hungry to just win a national championship. After what happened last year, I was just like, okay, I got to keep on getting better every single day. I ain't going to find no excuses. EJ also talked about his Baylor teammates, three of them who are now in the NBA. Man, they're so good. Uh, and they're, they really helped me just even, like, look better. Um, Reda is defensively, offensively. They're so unselfish, which is why our offense is just so good this year. And then they're just um, great people because they always uh, encourage me, make me feel better about myself. And I always work out with them. Even Daniel Mitchell, I was working out with him during the summer, playing one-on-one with him just to be, be able to guard God. Because I felt like if I was able to guard Daniel, I'll be able to guard everybody in the nation, usually speaking. And I was also playing against um, Jared Butler and Adam every single day. I felt like they helped me a lot. You know, if you guard Davion every day, you know, like you did this summer, 
you'll be able to guard about 80% of the guards in the NBA too. And then you add on top of that, Jared Butler and Adam. Yes. They just like, just mix up the little menus and that just make you feel more comfortable about your defense when you do so. Yeah. Every day, John also talked about playing hard, one of his specialties. Coach B and OGs and the coaching staff just um, helped me understand it, that offense just can, um, our ball screen offense get better whenever I roll hard. Yeah. Since I, I guess every single team is scared of me getting it up. Yeah. So that the tag, we always start, uh, come extra high on me and we always get uh, a wide open shot. So I see, I see me running the floor as an assist and I really love it because I yeah. get my teammate open, whether it's transition or whether it's just in the ball screen. In episode 35, we brought to you former Western Kentucky and current Philadelphia 76er, Charles Bassey, who's from Nigeria. Charles was drafted a pick before Sandro Mamukelishvili in the draft at 53. Great rebounder, shot blocker, but I'll let him tell you what he thinks he brings to an NBA team. Well, I bring to an NBA team, you know, like you said, uh, the, defensive, the defensive stuff, with twenty team, but uh, and then well, with my offense, it's just gonna it's just gonna come with time, you know, just pick the league, walking and just stuff. Yeah, so when I just get in the NBA, I'm gonna have to play my role. But with time, practicing with the team and them seeing what I have in my bag, yeah, my offense is just gonna come with time. Yeah, I know you. I know you got that three point down. That <laughs> shot can get better, but it's coming, right? It's, it's coming, man. It's it's, already, yeah. Yeah, it's coming, yeah. It's, but like I said, man, just going to the league, I'm going to have to play my role. But just with time, everything's yeah. Going. In episode forty two, we had rookie Oklahoma City Thunder sensation Josh Giddy from Down Under in Australia. My producer and cohort Chris Tyler, also from Down Under, loves when we have these guys on. But since he's been selected at pick number six by the Thunder, he has been a revelation and has proven to be a triple-double threat every night. Kid isn't even 20 years old yet. It's amazing. Let's let Josh Giddy tell you about being compared to players like Luka Doncic and Ben Simmons. Yeah, no, I do hear those comparisons. But, I mean, it's obviously hard for an 18-year-old to be compared to Luka, someone like, you know, an MVP, one of the best players in the world. But – um. I'll take you with a grain of salt. And it is cool watching those guys. Obviously, Ben, because he was from Australia, he was kind of similar. I oh, know I'm not going to say similar to me because he was much better than what I was at, a year ago, two years ago. But just, you know, seeing these guys that are, that are taller point guards that can make plays for other guys is, is what I love doing and, and what they love doing as well. So um, I try not to watch it too intently. I kind of just, you know, put on the games and, and specifically watch Luca and Ben and um, try to take little parts of their game and, and see what I can implement into mine. But um, no, it, it is fun watching them. Then obviously Ben being an Australian um, is a bonus as well. Josh was a late bloomer to the basketball scene in Australia. We'll let him tell you how he developed his passing skills. Yeah, I don't know. I honestly don't know. People always ask this. And I think it was when I grew up playing as a junior, I think my dad always coached like a team kind of system game. And it was always move the ball, get guys looks. And I always ran the point guard his teams. And I think within the offense, I found little ways to, you know, find trick kind of plays and to, to find guys when they weren't ready. And I started throwing passes and I just kind of started taking risks. And I noticed as I got older, they started paying off. And I realized I could thread needles. I could throw balls where, you know, before guys I even realized they were coming. And I think it just progressed. As I grew, I could see over the defense. And I think that's what's really helped me uh, today It's just, I think I have a really smart understanding of where the play is going to be before it actually is there. And I think that that's what allows me to um, get guys the ball in the right spots. 
And one more clip from Josh, which now seems so prescient about the possibility of playing in the NBA. Yeah, look, it's um, it's crazy. I did an interview a few days ago, and I have like a poster in my room of all the best NBA players. And I always used to, and they asked me about it, and I always used to look at it and think, you know, I wish I could be up there playing against those guys. And um, I keep going back to it, but a year ago, two years ago, you call me absolutely crazy if I said I, I had any chance to do it. And I probably would have called myself crazy because I wasn't that good. But, um, you know, as it comes more more of a realistic opportunity for me, it is, it is pretty surreal to think about that I could be out there playing against, you know, the Bucks, as you said, or, or something like that. But, um, look, I'm not there yet, and I've still got, a, still got work to do. So, um, you know, I won't, I won't stop till I do get there. In Episode 50, we brought you Amadou Fall, President of Basketball Africa League. A longtime NBA executive, uh, both at the league office and also with the Dallas Mavericks. And he describes getting the league off the ground and what the importance of the BAL means to basketball in Africa. Uh, it's uh, the Basketball Africa League is uh, a professional uh, intercontinental uh, league that has 12 teams coming from 12 different countries. It's a partnership between the NBA and FIBA, the governing body for basketball. This is the first time the NBA is launching a professional league outside of North America. And I think it really uh, speaks to the tremendous opportunity we have in Africa to continue to build on many decades to now have a professional level that talented young African players can look at as a first option. Right, uh, right, to continue to showcase their talent. So we're very excited to be here today uh, on the verge of launching the Amadou also spoke about the rise of African basketball and how it's been represented in college, the NBA, and around the world. There are so many Nigerians and uh, people from other nationalities across Africa who are working into basketball. They are coaches, they are trainers, you know, uh, they are scouts across the NBA, you know, franchises, they work in video rooms, you know, all that expertise being, um, you know, learned over there. That's what we hope to, you know, uh, bring back. And, and let me give you an example. You know, we were set to launch our league last year in uh, March 2020, but obviously, you know, COVID hit and then decided to, to delay but we filled the time by starting a, a, what we call the BA Leadership Series. It was a series of webinars where they were designed to build capacity, you know, for our clubs. Because we're looking to professionalize the entire environment of the clubs. You know, as you know, our league is right now a Champions League model where we're taking clubs, existing clubs, that win their local leagues. So we, des we designate six countries um, where the winners of those local leagues qualify automatically. And those countries are from Nigeria, Angola, Senegal, Egypt, Tunisia, and Morocco. Why are those six countries? Because if you look at maybe historically, you know, the rankings in African basketball and also you know, with most of the talent uh, and also the development of infrastructure and the interest in the game. We wanted to make sure that those countries were always represented. And then the six other countries come from qualifiers uh, that 
our partners, FIBA, organized. And that has about 30 countries that enlisted to compete for six positions. And the six countries that came out, and when I say countries, clubs from those countries were from Cameroon, Algeria, Mali, Rwanda, Mozambique, and Madagascar. So then you get our 12, 12 countries there. I was talking about this leadership series that we hosted to build capacity for our team. It was not across coaching, um, front office, and marketing, and you know, PR. We brought experts from across the NBA family. Some of the biggest names, like Coach Popovich, you know, uh, that's Steve Kerr, Dwayne Casey, uh, R.C. Buford, you know, uh, Masai Ujiri, Gerson, Minnesota, and our late brother, DJ Johnson, you know, all these coming participated in this very engaging discussion with um, you know, staff from the BALT. They came and told their story about how they built the culture, you know, how they built winning organization. And that was really time very well spent, you know, uh, for our team and for our entire uh, BAL organization. And another series of training that we undertook under the leadership of Monty McCutcheon, uh, the head of referee operations, we trained a group of about 30 referees from across the African continent, where we're selecting our referees pool that are going to referee our games, including you know, some outstanding uh, young ladies who are going to be doing great work in the profession. In episode 52, we brought on the Australian Olympic coach, Brian Gorgian, one of my favorite guests. You'll just feel the passion in these clips we picked out for you. The Boomers head coach went on to preview what would be an amazing Olympic summer campaign for Australia. First clip up, he talks about getting prepared for the Olympic Games. I guess the the, the high road with all of this and the, and the reason for you know, the involvement really was timing and the fact that, uh, as you say, coming back into this at my age, it, it, it been out of it for 12 years is the fact that Joe Ingalls and, and, uh, Deladova Baines. And at that time when I, I was being interviewed for the job, Bogut, who I have a strong relationship with, um, and Patty Mills are so, um, dedicated and so committed to this, no, no, no matter um, what the scenario brings, the length of the NBA season, the challenge of COVID, all these things that you bring up, that main group. And again, when I was in it before, it was a young team and Lithuania and Argentina were like that, you know, with Pepe Sanchez and Ginobili and Scola, that group and, and Lithuania had that group and my guys, just kids. And these guys are very committed, but but to make us special, the Tybal, the Simmons, that 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 scenario in the length of the NBA season, the challenges of uh, now getting those guys in to a system that's pretty has been pretty complex. I mean, the Aussie one, a half court system, a little different than anybody else. And you bring pieces in with no practice time. There's a lot of challenges that I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm dealing with right now, just as far as system goes and the difference in system, depending on that, who that plays. But I just imagine that um, when you look at the rest of the world, 
Um, they're all facing those challenges. And I've got that one bonus piece that the main NBA guys are in. Coach Gorgian also talked about something near and dear to my heart, the Australian basketball culture. You'll love this. Friend, you, you tell a story. I mean, I, 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 I've had such a four, you know, my, my father was, was my high school coach. And you talk about Greg was 4A CF player of the year. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to Pennsylvania and played for Gary Colson. And uh, <laughs> one of my I, favorites. I, <laughs> one of my favorites. I roomed with I roomed with Howie Dalmar. Wow. And Howie Dalmar's father was the head coach of Stanford at that time. And he was brought, he Howie played for a guy named Bud Presley, that was one of the toughest human beings I had ever come across. And I was at a going away thing for Howie to go to Europe. And Bud said to me, if I had a son, I'd send him to Australia. He goes, I just did clinics there. And he said, he goes, they're the, the he goes, I, I couldn't believe they were, how tough and how, you know, they're, they, they, they play their ass off and they have a beer afterwards. It's like it's a fist fight. And then when it's done, it's a handshake and it's it's beers at the bar. And he said, I've never seen anything like it. And honestly, Fran, it, you know, I got there. I called my dad within six months and I said, I ain't coming back. <laughs> and I think to, to, you know, we were, you know, we, we were brought up my era, that era, you know, you played baseball, you played basketball, you played football. And uh, their football, all these players that I played against played. And their football is, there's no clipping. You don't know where the hits are coming from. They're flying around. And I honestly, um, the the players that I, I played against were thick, strong you know, would jump in your path, pop you. You couldn't cut. You couldn't move anywhere. You'd be in a bear hug off the ball. Um, just physical. And I, I just said, God, Dad, the, the basketball here is so physical and so tough. And then leading to when I got into coaching, um, I was told, you know, if you're going to learn or you're going to grow, they, they've got to be great at some sport. Go into their a sport they're good at and learn. So I went into the football and that answered your question. It's just, it's just a tough breed of, of guys and a a really tough physical sport. And most of these guys are, are brought up that way. So uh, when there's a ball on the ground in football, you're taught, you know, uh, you got to go in first and, and, and you get hurt. So um, when there was a loose ball, I know, you know, you, you turn to go get it and there's a guy's, you know, his butt's standing, you know, like it's like they're in there first and you go, they learn all this stuff, football code, but they're, they're uh, a tough brand of, of your average Aussie is, is a, is a tough guy, a tough competitor, uh, can can drink a beer and can, can, can practice afterwards. And, uh, uh, they're, 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 they're tremendous, um, teammates. When, when I, when I got to, you know, college basketball, it was always, you know, you're sitting on the bench and you're, you're hoping the guy in front of you, something happens to him. So you get to get in there. Yeah. There, um, 
um, un- unbelievable teammates and uh, teamship is, is uh, it, it, uh, it's, a, it's a whole different mindset than America. And, uh, and I'm not taking anything away from America, but America, you look at the NBA, it's more um, bring your bag, do your job, get your 15 rebounds and 10 points if that's your job. And if we get along, great. Where um, Australia is, you know, uh, works at, no, we, we, we got to get along. This team's got to be tight. We got to care for each other. We got to love each other to get the best out of what we can get as a team. And if we don't have that, we're not going to win. That's the culture of an Australian team. And Brian Gorgian talked about the chemistry that boomer players have with each other. I took over the boomers back uh, after the Sydney Olympics and they didn't qualify for the worlds. And one of the things with the Sydney Olympics, a lot of the guys played longer because they wanted to play at home in Sydney and virtually the whole team retired at the same time. And when you go to an Olympics, okay, so we don't qualify for the worlds. I get hired and brought in for Athens and you have to be the, to be competitive in that you have to be the best in the world. at something. And what you're talking about was our, you know, let's be great at teamship. Let's be great. at culture. We're going to be the toughest team. We're going to wave towels. We're going to pick guys up. We're going to huddle up. You know, we're going to get into faces. And when you get to the Olympic games and we get to Athens, we were so off the mark in that area. You realize how good you have to be. Um, when you're looking at Argentina and Lithuania, where they were then. And now you come back 12 years later and you walked into this as coach and you Zoom and you listen to those guys. And I, I was almost teary, Fran, on on how um, committed and how strong and how opinionated they were about um, the boomers culture. And um, this is it. This is their their and, and what they want to leave and they want it to continue when they're done and they're working actively at that. But the culture of the boomers is something, again, I, I feel like I was a part of starting. But the build on this is a credit to those guys that you name. And I feel um, really excited that I'm going to be with a group of guys that are going to be like that, because my persona, my personality, whatever happens, um, you, you're proud if the guys are, are giving and you've got that culture and it's visual. It's something to uh, it is a skill and it's something to be proud of. And, and right now, this group has it. Finally, Brian Gorgian, an American, by the way, from Southern California, who spent the most of his life down under as a player and as a great coach, finally talks about what getting an Olympic medal would mean for Australia. And by the way, they got that bronze medal. Fran, I'll, uh, I'll finish with a great, I, so I, I, uh, it it would mean so much to a lot of people. And one of, I think the hardest thing about this job was actually taking it. You know, when it, when, when I spoke with Brett Brown and we talked, I, I, I was like, man, there's so much, um, there's so many people that have given their heart and soul and this is a loot. The women have got it done. It's eluded them for, you know, fourth, 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 fifth, fourth. And um, I'm in, it's 12 years removed. I bring my Chinese team to Australia to train for 50 days and play and get tough playing uh, warm up. 
And at the exact same time, Team USA has come to Australia to play those games in lead in to the world. And uh, we're practicing. I'm thinking there's going to be 50,000 people at this game. I'm, I'm an ex-coach. So they've invited me. You get the pass. I can go into the bar. I got a good seat, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm with the, all the Chinese. And I go, I'm not. There's too many people. This won't work, you know. So I say no. And then we're training. And the coach comes up to me. And he brings the interpreter. And he goes, hey, Brian, you know, the interpreter, could coach, could you guys any way get to this game? I really want to be a part of this. I, w- I really want to see this. Australia is great. You know, the atmosphere, I really want to see this. So um, I call Basketball Australia. They line up for my whole staff to come. So he and I have got the pass where the interpreter takes the other four. We go, you know, meet the people before the game. Some, you know, Lindsey Gay, you know, Brett, Barry Barnes, all the ex, there's Lauren, they're all there, right? So I'm sitting and I'm sitting next to Dave Anderson, who I coached, and Brad Newley. And they were sitting, we're talking during, I haven't seen 12 years. You know, hey, man. Blah, blah, blah. And the game's going on. And there's 50,000 people, Fran, in a game. And the court's here. And it's, I'm looking at the screen. And I'm, and now it gets to the fourth quarter. I get gets to the fourth quarter. And I start to get, everything starts to get quiet. You know, Patty Mills hits this, you know, you know, comes off a stagger from raises up, nails it. Shit, five, you know, quiet minute and a half, get a stop, come down. And then you look and you go, shit, they're going to win. They're going to win, you know, and it, it, the stadium kind of, you know, the shot, it erupts and then it goes quiet and then now it's 30 seconds, you know, this thing's over. And I'm sitting in a section with all the alumni of the greats, all the greats are there. You know, the, you know, the, the administrators, the players, the, you know, and I'm still looking over at David Anderson and Newley. They're like ice. And now I'm looking in kind of a tear, you know, and I look back and this is the game finishes and everyone's stint, you know, like this. And I'm looking at the faces and there's tears running down all these administrators, all these, people's emotion is all the work and and look at this and uh that said it you know when i thought about taking this job how much to answer your question it would mean um all these people be sitting watching this thing in their hearts they want this medal so so bad that's the country and then you've got a group of guys like that have put 12 years into this and this is their pinnacle. So uh, I fully understand um, the responsibility of it. And it, it did. That was the one thing that, you know, you know, man, this is you, you're carrying a heavy weight here. And uh, but um, yeah, I let's go. But it, it, it would mean, it would mean, um, a lot to basketball in the country. And, um, uh, a lot of people would be, um, really, really happy. A month after Brian Gorgian came on the show, we had two time world of basketball guest Jeff Van Gundy. Yep. That's right. He came on to wrap up everything we saw in the Olympic games. Remember Jeff, not only, was the coach that helped 
the United States qualify for the 2019 uh, World Cup, FIBA World Cup, uh, as a coach. He also played a big part in the preparation of, of Coach Popovich's uh, Olympic USA gold medal. We'll let Jeff describe the playing style of Team USA. Well, and, and that's when we struggled is when we didn't, uh, when we tried to come down on one side of the floor and either over dribble or under move, you know, like just the idea of movement for movement's sake. Um, it's not easy for some, that's not how uh, they play on their teams. And so, um, and people that expected to see uh, uh, an offensive juggernaut, I think is, underestimating the need for practice and trying to mesh people together in a new sport of uh, FIBA basketball. So uh, I don't, I, I thought Pop did a great job in identifying what we could do well, um, which is, as you said, uh, play and flow, but get the ball swung hopefully twice. Um, you know, if we moved it, even if it was just this simple, moving it from one side of the floor to the other, and getting a meaningful, forceful cut to the rim um, to flatten the defense and open up driving gaps. Then once we got an advantage and we could get that done, and again, it sounds simple, but it's not always as simple as, as it sounds, then we played pretty good offense. I thought they were very unselfish. We were low turnover uh, throughout the course of the tournament. And, you know, we – Unlike a lot of uh, national, you know, uh, USA basketball teams, we didn't offensive rebound well, and nor did we get to the free throw line. So we were up against it, and I think our keeping our turnovers down, you know, was absolutely critical. And I, I think you're right. And so anybody expecting to see, you know, a lot of sets um, like France ran and like these other teams ran, run uh, when they've had so many more years of togetherness, practice time, and uh, also the idea of the same coach year after year. I, I just think it, it's, it's nonsensical to think it would be that easy. Finally, JVG uh, explains what FIBA rules he thinks the NBA should adopt. Yeah, I think only everyone. Like I love, <laughs> I love, I love the yeah. less timeouts. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, the FIBA game uh, moves. I love the use of the intentional foul. Um, somehow we've started to accept in the NBA or in the NBA in particular, like reaching out to stop a fast break. Um, I think we need to take it further. I think there should be a, another penalty situation for fouls taken within the first four seconds of a shot clock. Um, once you get over, you know, three, four in a game, it should be two in the ball. I, but I love how FIBA, you know, they call it the European foul, but actually now it's more of the American foul. And I don't know why we want that foul in the game to stop action and transition. Um, I, I love the knocking it off the rim. Uh, it takes away a call that's really hard um, for the officials, and it's exciting when used uh, properly. We had a play in the uh, France game where Draymond Green up seven knocked a free throw off the rim. 
you know, really intelligent, aware play. And so um, I like that as well. Um, but, but really it's the timeouts. It's the flow of the game. I like your four quarters. It's, 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 you know, we, I'm so used to it in the NBA. Um, the one thing I think all of basketball needs to do a better job is in, in thinking of rules is punishing fouling more. So right now we have the penalty, right. Or in, you know, like the one thing I like about college is they graduate it. Uh, so it's, you know, side out to one and one uh, to two shots in the NBA. And I think in FIBA, there should be a, a like from penalty where it's two shots to three to make two um, something where, you know, fouling um, is penalized more and more uh, for more and more uh, offenses. And I, I, I don't think we've done a good job of that in the NBA. Um, and I think FIBA could be, you know, could benefit from that as well. But I just, I, I think their rules, Fran, um, I, I think they've also found like, I think there's a balance there in the terms of contact, the NBA where it's really like absurd in the, in the um, regular season, how little contact is allowed. I, I think playoff contact is where the NBA regular season should be. And then I think FIBA is uh, above that. I, I think there's too much in the FIBA game sometimes but there's not enough in ours to find a happy medium, I think uh, would be terrific. Um, But I love that FIBA teaches their officials. No, we're not bailing guys out with leg kicks and dive ins. And um, you know, like they're not even shot attempts in the NBA. And I think the NBA is, is, is trying to eliminate that this year. Thank goodness, because it's a blight on basketball when those type of plays are rewarded. Hey, everyone, Lindsay Rhodes here. And if you love football, you're going to love my podcast, The NFL Roadshow. With episodes Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we cover every NFL angle and talk to guests from across the NFL world, Hall of Famers, analytics nerds. And I say that lovingly as someone who wants to be an analytics nerd very badly. Fantasy football experts, all of it. They're discussions you're not going to find anywhere else. So please subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts or listen on the SXM app included with most subscriptions. Season two of World of Basketball started up in as big a way as you possibly can with the Mavericks' gentle giant, the seven foot three or four, Boban Marjanovic. He spoke to us about a number of things, including the culture of Serbian basketball. They do, they do a great job, like you know, like uh, teaching the players. Of course, it was more like it was like it was more like two times practice a day. It's yeah. not one like you know, like in the morning you do like shots, you do technique, you do weights, you do weight room, or like if if you're so young, you will do some exercise, not like not like really weights. Right. You know, after that you start to work out on your weight and uh, in the night, and I say like after like you know six six p.m. seven p.m. whatever, you you will play like team basketball like. You will go, you will go like five on five, three on two, one on one, whatever. Like some some exercise right. who's like who keep you like like team spirit in the morning more individual things, individual things in the night more uh, uh, more uh, more like team things and yeah. you know like yeah. yeah. And he, even for guys your size, you and uh, and Jokic 
and all the guys I've watched play, you, you're developing like guard skills almost, like the passing and the, the team play, right? You because you can, you're a very good passer, always have been. Yeah. You know, you, you you try to do everything. You know, like uh, you try to do everything. Of course, every single person pass the ball. Like you know, we we go like we go chest pass, bounce pass. Uh, we call baseball pass. And like you know, like when uh, it's like it's like uh, it's like think you know, like you basically we we standing next to each other and we throw the ball on each other. Like you no, know, it's basically it's a practice. You know, like or somebody they pass the ball after that he passed to you he go rebound by himself and come back pass to you you know it was like it was, it was that thing like we try to help each other of course you don't have so many coaches to to rebound for us we do that for ourselves and try yeah. to help each other to get it better well we've already discussed what it meant for the australian boomers the olympic team to win a bronze medal in episode 63 we brought Australian legend and current Brooklyn Nets point guard. By the way, he's playing out of his mind, okay? We brought Patty Mills on, FIBA Patty, and he spoke about the bronze medal win for Australia. Yeah, when, when you watch that game and, and you watch the, the emotions after the game that came pouring out of each and every one of us, and, and to understand that emotion, I think you have to understand the history of Australian basketball um, and how passionate we are about our country and about our sport and the amount of times we had to fight to, to you know, not quite get over the, the hump. So I think, um, you know, the, the team for this Olympics, um, we, we just went back in time and, and really connected the dots of what it means to not only be Australia, but, but be a boomer. Um, and connect all those little dots. So the meaning came from a, a, a authentic, genuine place. Um, so then when we finally got over the hump and, and, and won Australia's first medal in, in basketball for, for men's, um, the emotions just came pouring out for, for everyone. And, you know, we, we stood up on the podium together. And, um, you know, at, at that point in time, for, for me, um, it felt like we were the only ones in that whole entire arena. You know, I couldn't tell you that there were two other teams to the right of us or if there were even cameras or people in the crowd. It was like, it felt like, you know, we, we took one step up, but it felt like we were on, you know, a, a different cloud, a different place. Um, but you could feel the the presence of our country and and the people before us that had you know, sacrifice their blood, sweat and tears to, to put basketball on the map for us to, you know, finally come and, and get over the line. So a lot of different uh, emotions and um, definitely celebrated with a couple of beers with, with the fellas <laughs> afterwards. If Patty Mills can bring the culture of Boomer basketball to the Brooklyn Nets, and he already has, I'll let him describe what that culture means to him. Yeah, I think we're just, um, you know, we're obviously connected um you know through our, our country and, and we all come from different places around the country we play overseas so that when we come together there's obviously that sense of mateship that australians take a lot of pride in and, and being able to um have that camaraderie um and i think you know uh, a lot has um has has been built just on that specifically you know we, we weren't the most talented the most athletic the most you know the biggest guys um in the basketball world so the, the one thing that we we did have was our our, our mateship and our teamship and, and camaraderie 
Um, so now you, you kind of balance all those things with the quality of players we have. Um, the only thing left to do from a, a boomers culture standpoint is to really connect us to our country and, and to our, uh, our namesake, um, Boomer, for example, which is a male kangaroo and, and right. give back to our community and, and go, you know, peel back the layers a bit here and go to the core of what makes us Australian number one and, and makes us a Boomer number two. And when we were able to connect to our past, I think you started to see a lot of people um, connect with with our team and with our country and, and the Matisse Thiles and the Josh Greens that, that came in had a, had a genuine connection to, to our, our team and, and you saw them starting to play with, with passion uh, for Australia too and, and understand what it means. So it's just a really um, unique place to be and, um, you know, I think there's even more um, levels to, to go in terms of our culture and what we're trying to achieve with the likes of Josh Giddy and, and other young guys coming through. Well, I hope you enjoyed this recap of 2021. Not necessarily the best of World of Basketball, because to me, they're all my children, and we had so many great guests. But we gave you a test, a, a taste of what we're bringing every week to uh, World of Basketball. And uh, again, go back, download the SXM app, and uh, you'll be able to listen and and learn and check out so many of our past guests and. Uh, we love what we're doing. If you have a guest, and we have a lot of good guests coming up, um, just off the top of my head, some of the college kids who are off to great starts, Zach Eady from Purdue, a Canadian from Toronto, Ben Matherin from Montreal, who's starring for Arizona. He's a future lottery pick. That Arizona team coached by Tommy Lloyd, who knows international hoops as well as anybody, a former World of Basketball podcast guest. Uh, those Arizona guys, we got to get them on the air. Uh, but if you have a current uh, favorite guest, maybe on an NBA team, a coach, an executive, a college player that you'd love to see on World of Basketball, uh, tweet at me at, uh, at Fran Frischella, and uh, we'll try to get them on. And again, if you like what we're doing, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your uh, your podcast at the uh, Spotify, Apple, give us a five-star rating as, as well as well. It helps. It really helps people find the podcast. It's great for the bosses at, at Sirius XM. And uh, we'll continue to do what we've been doing for a year and a half now. And that is shrink the basketball globe to you. And as I know, and now you have discovered, I plan to bring you next week to another place in my world of basketball. World of Basketball is part of the Sirius XM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Chris Tyler, sound designed by Robert Moore. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for Sirius XM. A special thanks also to Sirius XM, Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Mr. Steve Cohen. Sirius XM Podcasts.